I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals and the one that's upcoming I've already got pre-ordered, which I say definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I have to say, when I got my local, my weekly comic list from my local comic book shop, I had to ask, are you going to pull the annual? Because, you know, a lot of people don't count the annuals as part of your subscription for Amazing Spider-Man. And I'm yet to hear the answer. So we'll see, you know, when it pulls and when I get it. I mean, I'll get it. But, you know, this whole thing makes me question if they even count, Dan. So they don't count. I mean, to to your credit, Mark, the annuals were a separate subscription at my su- shop. So, you know, like if you, you want know to- what else is a separate subscription, Dan, every other comic book series besides Amazing Spider-Man. And yet we don't count those comic books. And yet you count this, this well, series. Well, so here's the real question. Superior Spider-Man back in the day was a separate subscription than Amazing Spider-Man at my shop. And yet somehow it got folded into legacy numbering. And, you know, I know just saying that superior Spider-Man is included in legacy numbering is enough to like blow some of the minds of some of our listeners that are really hardcore into that numbering stuff. And I really just don't. Well, now you're you're just pointing out the fallacy of Marvel, but continue, Dan, go. No, no, that's really all I wanted to say. Like the question is like, does superior count then? I, Look, I we we've exhausted this argument, Dan. Why don't you continue with the show before people before people drop off? (laughs) That's it. That's it. That's the end of this intro for the show. (laughs) Mark has called it dead. Well, anyway, welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. And if you are interested in that annual stuff, oh boy, we got a show for you. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Talk about fascinating. Well, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, and subscriber numbers, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. Yeah, we haven't gotten a review in a while. We'd love to get some more of those. So if you if you could fire up your Apple podcast, it does help bump us up in the ratings. Anyway, this podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 30. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The cover pencils and interior pencils are by Ed McGinnis, inks by Mark Farmer, Colors by Marcio Menez, and of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on July 26th, 
2023. Mark, why don't you take us through all the events that happened in Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 30. Absolutely, Dan. Thank you very much. Well, we open with a smug-looking Otto and a totally ripped Norman Osborn in the post-serum injection afterglow. Norman starts giggling maniacally, warning Otto that he should have listened to him because even though he got enough serum in him to quote-unquote turn an elephant, Norman was all like, skid-a-ma-rinky-dinky-dink, skid-a-ma-rinky-doo, I already have a bunch of serum in me. And that's not what makes me the Green Goblin, you buffoon. If you get that reference, Dan, I give you a Gen X cookie, okay? Anyway. Oh, yeah. I, and I did get that reference, uh, Mark. But I, I will say this does beg the question, like, what does the green elephant look like? like is there a super-powered <laughs> elephant out there that's been turned? Nor Has Norman, like, tested this on elephants? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Otto does not take kindly to being called a buffoon, so now he's done showing Norman some mercy. And that brings us to Spider-Man and the tentacles, along with Jonah, and Spidey is definitely liking this octopus, this octopus fusion thing a bit too much. He calls Jonah adult, and the horror of that makes him shut his mouth. Back to Otto and Norman, and Norman is now going for the kill, but not before admitting that Osborne actually outsmarted him. That's when Spider-Man shows up and Otto is ready to throw down, except his Octoids are not totally listening to him. Hate when that happens. That's when Otto discovers that Spider-Man's spine locked with his arms, and boy, is he unhappy about that. Spidey tells him, the die is cast, and each calls the other adult, and McGinnis says, sure, I'll fashion a fun double-page spread. So Spidey and Otto throw hands, and Spidey warns him that without his tentacles, he's got nothing. But Otto was never one to concede an inch, so instead, so instead Spider-Man is about to quote-unquote get harvested by an apex predator. Ooh, that is some snappy dialogue. The Octoids grab Spider-Man, and his own arms are telling him to detach and free himself, but Spider-Man is not willing to let the arms sacrifice themselves. Just as things are at their bleakest, Norman Osborn saves the day, and the two-on-one fight is just too much for Otto to overcome. Just before Spider-Man can do something he regrets with Otto's arms, like kill Otto, Norman stops him and helps him detach from the harness. Otto makes his great escape, and Peter lets the arms know that they've broken up. We end with Peter and Norman sharing a moment, reflecting on Kamala Khan and her friendship including Kamala ordering a large coffee with extra serum, which even the text of the comic admits is a terrible joke. I mean, I'm not saying any character deserves to die based on a joke, but <laughs> we fade to black with some subtext that maybe this friendship with Peter and Osborne is for real. Go figure. Happy, happy friendship. I'm not looking at solicitations, Dan. And that's my recap of this comic this one's gonna last forever you know to to start off our conversation on this i think it's like appropriate to like look at this story in in its entirety and where it falls in this run and you know i'm sure over time that our opinion on this will change but like one of the things that i was most surprised with with finishing off this story you know especially based on where it started where i thought okay we're kind of getting a frivolous Dr. Octopus story. And by the end, I thought that this really 
became, you know, a pretty poignant issue that while I wish it had kind of done more with Otto in the end, and we can talk about that later, I thought really did a great job of continuing the thematics that have been, you know, central to this run. But, you know, the idea of like what friendship means, what good and evil mean, and, you know, can anybody truly be redeemed while their sins or their history is behind them, um, be it Peter Parker or Norman Osborn, or even in this case, Otto Octavius. I found this a really satisfying story. I don't think it's my favorite of the, of the run. I think the tombstone story, you know, still leads the pack in that regard, but boy, was I surprised by how much this thing really won me over in the end. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm like kind of judging on a curve here or something because it, it, it does feel like, a lot of my pleasant feelings about this story are, are tied up in, fa- you know, in the fact that I was not expecting to enjoy it all that much. But all the same, I mean, like, yeah, I just found this from a character standpoint, you know, at least in terms of the the protagonists of the story, which, like it or not, are, are Peter and Norman. And, you know, I feel like both are getting good shine throughout this storyline. You know, it's effective in that regard. And yeah, I mean, we, we can absolutely talk about the Otto Octavius of it all and kind of where that's headed. But in terms of the Norman stuff, I mean, like, and, and I know we'll talk more about him a bit, but like, frankly, this is this is the kind of setup and context with the Peter dynamic that I think maybe some prior storylines could have benefited from to make those stakes seem higher and those outcomes feel more emotionally heavy because, I mean, you know, not to jump all the way to the end, but like the moment they shared with Kamala about Kamala at the end, I think was kind of the first time I actually, as a reader, felt a little pang of emotion about what happened in that earlier storyline with her. And, And I think part of that is due to the fact of how they kind of set up the dynamic with Peter and Norman over these four issues. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, like I, I'm really glad that this story was as short as it was, you know, like I, I think th- this kind of pacing that we've been getting throughout the, the Zeb Wells run has been really solid. Just getting these little micro stories, like, you know, I, I guess the longest ones have been six issues, but that's been the odd duck out you know, here, you know, if you don't like something, you're moving on pretty quickly. I, it's not as fast to say like brand new day was, I, I like these really condensed stories that have a real point to them. I do think that there is some repetition starting to really settle in here. Talk about Norman Osborn's role in this, uh, you know, before we move on to that, I did want to say, I agree with you on the Kamala stuff. I do wish that the, the thing that Norman describes happened on page rather than through his, you know, post description, but the writing is strong enough that it still was able to work, I guess, as effectively as anything written on a page might without seeing it actually play out. As I say, it's, it's as effective as anything related to Kamala Khan at Oscorp and her death at the hands of Rabin has been so far. I mean, again, maybe this is a curve, it's effective in that in that relative state, if you will. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention, and I said Otto's name earlier, and I don't have a ton to say about him here, except that I really like how he was written, you know, through throughout this. I still don't necessarily like love the like living arms as 
pets kind of thing. But there's enough silliness with it that it won me over. There's a moment with like an octoid shaking his little fist as uh, Otto is being shepherded away that made me laugh. And so at a certain point, the charm wins you over to the idea, you know, even if it is completely antithetical to, you know, how you might view a character. But the thing that I find frustrating is that like, you know, it seems like we didn't really land anywhere new for Otto by the end of the story. Like he brings up a lot of really interesting things about his character going to get revenge on Norman, you know, for what happened during superior and his you know loss of memories and stuff. And I can't help, but feel like Wells isn't being allowed to conclude that, or at the very least he's just, introducing this stuff to be a team player because he's got to set up Dan Slott's superior run that he's about to kick off. And like, yeah, I'm going to get that story in another comic, but honestly, I want to see what Wells has to say about this because he's doing such a good job of it in amazing Spider-Man that it, it's a little bit of a bummer to not see him be allowed to finish that out, you know, and right. It's Dan Slott's creation, blah, 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 blah. But I do think it does begin to hollow out this run a little bit when everything gets followed up somewhere else, be it, you know, the 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 Queen Goblin or even like the Hobgoblin is now in uh, Miles's book, you know, and that's been really cool. And I'm loving seeing that. And it's a, gr- you know, great example of synergy between these titles. But I kind of want to just see Wells get a little more ownership over this book you know, universe, it feels like he's playing for other people sometimes rather than for himself. Yeah. I mean, you could say that. I mean, ball at the same time, you know, Wells is the one who killed Miss Marvel in his book. So I guess it kind of goes around. I, 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 so he, he's so lucky. Oh, oh, he, <laughs> yeah. he drew the, he drew the long straw there. No, I mean, like I agree 100%. Yeah, with what you're saying, I I, I guess the, the the one little bit of devil's advocate that I'll play here is, and it's not even a necessarily a contrary point of view, but it, I think part of what made this entire storyline work for me was at the end of the day, it was just kind of in its own 2023 kind of a way, just a normal Spider-Man story with no with no gimmicks or shocks or mysteries or, or magic boxes or MacGuffins or anything like that. It was just a story, you know, grading it on the scale of it just being a story. It really worked. And, you know, I, I, I wonder if it would have worked all the same if we did get too much backstory into well, what's Otto up to now? And, and, you know, how is this going to transition to this new superior status quo? And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, do, do, do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, does this make sense to you? I mean, I a hundred percent do. I guess my feeling is just like the end of this for Otto is more of an ellipsis than like a period. And I know we're not ever going to get periods in comics. Right. Be- but like it, this story was so interested in like Otto's status quo, you know, as an antagonist to then not really land anywhere with him kind of being shepherded out the back door. It felt like, like I kind of wanted to go like, Oh cool. Like that's, that's what this, like what this meant to Otto within this chapter. Cause we get it for Peter. We get it for Norman. It feels like a substantial chapter for them, but not for Otto Octavius because I feel like it's coming else in someone else's book. And like at the same time, you're right. Like I totally get it. Like, 
that's what it means to be the lead writer of Amazing Spider-Man in 2023. And the person who can be the best team player is probably the best person for the book, you know, because it is a line. It's not just a title. So like in that regard, I think he's doing a really good job of finding his own like it's Peter and Norman are the main characters of the story, you know, and Otto gets a meaningful contribution. So I think he's doing a good job. But as someone who like really loves the primacy of amazing Spider-Man and how that book has been treated historically, you know, a character like Otto, I would love to have seen amazing Spider-Man come down with like a definitive statement on who this guy is. Yeah. I mean, again, not to belabor this point too much, we can move on after this, but I would just say like, I guess for me, it kind of just reminded me of just some random Stan Lee, John Romita senior Spider-Man, Dr. Octopus arc from the late 1960s. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, if we're moving Peter and Norman forward, since they're the ones driving this narrative, I, I, I kind of feel like a happy camper and yeah, you know, the, the spoiled 21st century comic book reader and critic in me wants more from everything, but you know, I think if I want to just kind of keep this as simple as possible, it works on those terms. I do want to say, though, I think that this issue was a few pages shorter than a standard issue. I think it's only 18 pages instead of 21. So, like, that's curious in its own right. At least they didn't charge us four ninety nine <laughs> for it, which seems to be the new standard for Marvel Comics. So let's talk about Norman Osborn and his, like, riding the line between good and evil. We discussed last time whether or not this was it for him. Like, what is he going to flip back? And, you know, obviously the book revels in saying no uh, to that at the beginning. What do you think about his characterization in this issue? Within the context of what they've been building, I thought it was good. I, I mean, I, I, I do think, and you kind of alluded to this earlier in, in our review, that there there is some repetition going on here you know what i mean like i i I feel like we're getting some beats that we've seen before and how far is norman gonna go and like you said is this gonna be it you know is this the end of good old normie osborne oh wait no he nevertheless he wiggled his way out of this one and he's still good i mean yeah uh, it's we are getting to a point where i feel like we kind of have to either pull the trigger on this or start or stop baiting it because, you know, <laughs> like how much suspense do you think you're pulling here? I don't know. I, I, but like I all the same, I enjoyed the moments. And like I feel like this storyline, for lack of a better phrase, is the most genuine Norman has seen within the status quo, which probably means they're going to pull the rug out from under us very soon. <laughs> but um, but like now I'm like I'm like I'm like almost like. I'm ready to accept this. Like, let's just do this, you know, but like, you know, that's not how it's going to obviously be. So, yeah, I think for me, the repetition is like really in the, like the format of these things, which is like Norman always coming in for the save at the end, you know? And I just think like, we've criticized that the, the other hero saving Spider-Man, you know, ad nauseum during, you know, Dan Slott's uh, volume three of the title where it seemed like every issue Spider-Man was proven to be a fool needing to be saved by someone else here. I think it's a lot more genuine. Like Peter really has a moment where he could easily sacrifice the arms, but you know, he chooses to potentially endanger himself to save another 
person, I guess if you want to call it a person. And Norman then comes in for the save. You know, I just kind of feel like that beat has happened repeated repeatedly. Uh, the, the, the other thing that I'm a little bit unsure of, and maybe I'm misreading this, but like the resolution to last issue's plot twist is that like he already has all of this a goblin serum inside of him, which isn't really anything shocking. In fact, I brought it up in the previous podcast that like he's been shown using goblin powers in other books. So like I suspected that it wouldn't impact him here. He kind of explicitly says like, Hey, I'm good now. My sins are gone. Like there's no amount of this stuff that's going to make me evil because that's been expunged from me. And like, I don't know that it's been that explicitly said. And it made me think like, wait a minute. Did we just like take the timer off of this time bomb? Like he truly is just good, like a good guy now. And even the flashes of him, like crunching his phone, you know, in, in that issue, what feels like forever ago, like a year ago in like the hobgoblin arc, I think it was are like, is that gone? Is that off the table? And if so, does that like, remove a lot of the suspense around Norman. I read a lot of that interplay between Norman and Otto is kind of bluster for lack of a better word. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I mean, if <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is if it was meant to be literal or if it was meant to be believed, I didn't believe it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> because of the, you know, the earlier uh, context you just talked about, you know, if I'm going to no prize myself for this, I would just say, like, I, I kind of read it as like Norman, you know, trying to demoralize Otto by saying you can't beat me this way because, you know, I'm good now. And, and, and you know, and, and frankly, it does kind of like lead to this somewhat interesting pontification about good and evil and good and interesting and, <laughs> and and evil and uninteresting. So I don't know what you want to say about that. I see an interesting note here where you attribute something that could be quote unquote coming out of my mouth. So I want you to say it. <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. I, just to put a pin on, on the previous thing, like I really felt like the title had been playing with this idea of like every time Norman comes in for a save, if he's involved in something violent, it moves him closer towards regaining his goblin status, right? Like there's the bit where he beats the pulp out of the hobgoblin and like every punch I think is meant to be read. It's like, Oh shoot. Like what's emerging here. And here I don't feel like that tension exists, you know, like, and so like, that's what I'm wondering is like, Hey, did we forget about that? Is that just not how this works anymore? <laughs> and so like, this is more me just kind of charting like, well, okay. What am I actually like reading about this in regards to like how this works, this transformation. So I, I did want to talk about the monologue at the end because I think, you know, yes, I would have rather have seen it on the page and maybe then reflected it here, but I did find it genuinely moving and added a, an emotional weight to Kamala's death that I don't think was there before. And it's probably too late to too late to fully resonate now, now that we know that she's coming back in the pages of X-Men. In fact, I think, this week she came back in the Hellfire Gala issue. So it's like, okay, you know, like uh, I'll, I'll play the world's smallest violin. That's, for that. a, that's a land um, speed record, I think, for for. <laughs> yeah, no, really, you're 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 not kidding. I, 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 you, I haven't right. even read Death of a Friend yet. <laughs> She's back. <laughs> <laughs> Fallen Fall Friend. Fall yeah, it's on yeah, my yeah, pile yeah. still. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, well. 
It is a land speed record. I guess they're like, we got to get it for this movie soon. So, but you're, you're right. There was a point in this where uh, like Otto earlier in the comic says that like both he and Norman were at their most boring when they're good. And the, but Norman at the end of the book says, no, like we were most interesting and that good is interesting inherently. Like he used to think that the act, you know, the accumulation of power was what life was about. And here, you know, it's he realizes like really friendship is a far more rewarding thing than, you know, the kind of slow accumulation of power. He even in the process, I thought he brings Rabin in in a way that I thought echoed what you had been saying. You had been saying how like boring and, you know, forgettable of a villain Rabin is. And here Norman confirms it. He says, quote, nothing he said is worth pondering or repeating, end quote. You know, in opposition to Kamala's mantra about, you know, good being, you know, the, uh, a thing you do, you know, and like I, as soon as he said it on the pages, I was like, that's exactly what Mark said. Like Rabin is utterly forgettable. And he feels this is the writer. Norman trying, says he feels yeah. he's been attached with a rivet gun. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like whether that's a writer trying to like retroactively like change a reading on his book like uh, criticism of that issue did not come out when he was writing this you know or of that character and so you know maybe that's not the most interesting way to write comics but like it is an interesting bit of observation i think that like you know that guy in his accumulation of power and being evil is utterly uninteresting compared to the characters that like we cheer on and 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 you know, get involved in their friendships. I, I don't know, Mark. Did you know? Did do you feel any kinship to the statement that am I falsely attributing that to your to coming out of your no, mouth? No, I mean, I I, I I always have to take credit when you know things that even I didn't say, but just you know my my general demeanor kind of put into the universe when it comes to our comics. But no, I I, I mean, like I really enjoyed the kind of pontificationing if you will uh during this sequence um i mean you know we could we can certainly quibble over the kamala khan of it all um because you know it's still kind of hard to say it's still kind of hard to redeem what they did with that um and i don't know if they will um i don't you know i know we're not necessarily judging them for that right here but I don't know if it's that evil is uninteresting because like there, there, there has certainly been some very interesting evil characters in Spider-Man comics, but there, there is a template for an evil character who is just, you know, and I, if, if, if they wanted to quote me, I think the way I would refer to it on the podcast is, you know, twirling their mustache evil, which I always find to me, that's boring evil because it's, if it's, if it's just so rote and and predictable and, and one dimensional, then yeah, it's, it's, it's a boring evil. But I think I've been saying on this show from the get go that, you know, if a, if a writer, if a creator truly wants to explore good Norman Osborn, there could be some really interesting stuff that comes out of that. And I think we're seeing that to a degree here. If you just kind of open your mind to it. Yeah, 100% agree. And I especially like the point that Norman makes here how, like, Kamala brought down Rabin's plan by saving one life. And, like, that evil doesn't have the power, you know, as much power as the power of friendship. I mean, it's corny, right? Like, you know, whatever. The 
the the superpowers were the friends we made along the way or whatever you want to say but it but it felt you know like genuine to me i mean would it have been a hundred times more powerful if kamala's death was earned initially it would definitely like this could have been a all-time great ending if i believed at all in in the editorial mandate that is kamala khan's death but as a monologue to this story, I thought it was a pretty decent cast. Long-standing supporting cast member, Kamala Khan. <laughs> May she rest in peace. You want to talk about the Slack, Dan, and maybe what they're saying about such storylines and pontifications? Sure. Take us into the Slack ad, we got, Hey, we, we got to transition somehow, Dan. Anyway. Hey, look, if editorial is going to slap these things together so rip with a rivet gun, I'm going to get some leeway. There we go. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join. And you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, what the heck is happening in the Slack this week? Mark, you're going to really need to like, like give me even more than the monkey toy thing from a few weeks back. Like you're really going to have to give me some, some slack here about the slack. It was brought to my attention recently by friend of the show, Chris Baker, who talked to us about video games in the past and has a young child who is watching Spidey and his amazing friends, the, the show for toddlers. And my son is not, is a toddler, I think technically, but is not watching that show. I'm trying to keep him away from like, you know, images of violence. And I don't really know. It just seems like it's a little too old for him. He's watching Miss Rachel on YouTube, but it appears that in season two of this show, their Gwen Stacy now has a father on the show, George Stacy. And in the show, and I've been researching this all week, Mark, in the show, George Stacy is actually not a cop. His wife is. And she's, you know, still around, I guess. And so George, I guess, is kind of this nerdy guy that helps out Gwen on stuff. Here's the strange thing, Mark. And, and like, look, I may not be the most cynical person on Earth, but, like, you know, I'll, I'll take something with a, a grain of salt or whatever. But Chris sent this to me. This character looks identical to me. Like, incredibly identical. It's not just that he looks like me. <laughs> He's wearing the exact same outfit that I wear in my social media profile pictures, which is what I got married in, in my, on my wedding. It's like a blue button up shirt and a blue jacket. Like he has the same exact glasses as me. It's the same shape of glasses in that image. Uh, that's like all of my profile pictures online. Like, I don't really want to believe it because it seems so bizarre and uncanny. But, like, it, I thought, okay, maybe it's Jason Latour, right? Like, it's the father of Gwen, it, Jason Latour. It doesn't look like Jason Latour. If you were going to make it look like Jason Latour, you wouldn't make it look like this. It looks like me. Like, it, it, but even if it isn't me, it approaches a level of, like, uncanny valley that makes me kind of weird. Like, it, I don't know. I sent this to you, Mark. Am I blowing this out of proportion or does it look exactly like me? Sorry, I, I, I couldn't hear you. I was just uh, Googling narcissistic personality disorder. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeesh, and people think I'm full of myself. My goodness, Dan. Oh, my, my God. My goodness. I mean, when, when, what are we going to do with you, Dan Gavazdan? I mean, now, now. Okay. Well, okay. Have me locked up or like tell me to run for president. But like, 
I can't, I, I've been looking at this all week and I'm just like, what do I do with this information? Like, like it looks just like me. Like, like it, it is, it is, it is upsetting to some degree. Mark, Mark, am I, am I, does it look like me or am I absolutely insane? If I'm being completely impartial, yes, it looks like you. It looks a lot like you. And, you know, hey, we had, uh, wasn't there a, a, a Bendis comic where they, they talked about the Spider Talk podcast or something? or, or... Yeah, and that, that's a much looser thing. Like, that's probably not. But, like, I tweeted Bendis about it, and he responded and, and, and was very, like, like, being jokey about it. So it's like, okay, like, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. You know, but like Bendis is having a good time with this. Like, I'll say this: if you are a designer or work on this show, and there is, and you can confirm or deny this, I would love to know because, like, I mean, it's one thing. Like, George Stacy has never looked anything remotely like this. Like, I look nothing like George Stacy, right? So, like, suddenly this image appears, and it's like if you were to create a me. From the, like an, uh, like from like the Nintendo Wii of me, it would look like this. It, it like it, it is it is me. I mean, has Aunt May ever looked like Marissa Tomei? I mean, come on, Dan. No, that's I true. Mean, I, that's know, true. We're, if, we're, true. If we're gonna do that, Dan, I mean, you know, like you're gonna lose that argument. But anyway, all right. <laughs> well, well, Mark, I'm glad your cynicism has like. Uh, brought me to reality. I, I do. I would be curious to hear people weigh in as they have on the Slack about whether or not this looks like me to you, because like, I, I, I don't know what to do with this information. I've been looking at it all week with my Facebook profile picture. And I'm like, this is so uncanny. Like, you know, and like, that's something like, I don't think anybody listens to our show, you know, like, so, so, yeah, I get to see the actual numbers, so I know how small of an audience we have, you know? So, I, like, it, it's not, like, to puff myself up some way. i just looking at this, and I'm like, what? Like, what is this? Anyway, Mark, you don't seem to be taking the bait. I, I mean, or, or am I just producing new bait, a different bait, you know? Like, the world remains to be seen. I mean, you know, we... <laughs> I need to get like uh, our lookalike expert Alan Shurstel to win on this because he has in the past said like characters look like Dan Slott in the pages of Nick Spencer comics. And I don't really agree, but like if that counts, I don't know what this is. So anyway, join in on the fun and my navel gazing stuff. Was George Stacy talking about the solicitations six months out? That's the, the trigger. Well, I'll tell you, maybe I, all of these lookouts that I saw conjured this <laughs> conjured this up. They were, there's a kinship there, foraged in kindred over George Stacy. Anyway, come join our amazing Slack. There's a link in the description to this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. And hey, if you work on the show and can confirm or deny it, I would love to hear. I would love to hear because I don't know what to do with this information at this point. And I think I'm crazy. And Mark is shaking his head like, why did I ever sign up to do a podcast with this First, guy? First, he thinks this character looks like him. Then he thinks the creators listen to our show. Dan, where does it end with you, man? All right. Let's let's transition back to our review before I have to get Dan committed for uh, all of these things. All right. Well, uh, I think the real appeal of an issue like this is uh, seeing Spider-Man in octopus arms. I mean, right. We got the big splash page 
of it revealed last issue. And I think we were both like, all right, I want to see this in action. And I, you know, I think the action involving it is great, but the most fun part is like the sort of like psychological elements that are, are beginning to play into this. At, at, at its core level, Dan, it's, it's just fun. You know, like we're, we're, we're having fun with it and, you know, like, yeah, similar to a point you made earlier in the episode about kind of like, are we, are we, are we setting things up for other writers or even just kind of, you know, leveraging what other writers have done with these characters? I mean, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like this, you know, once Spider-Man is kind of, you know, locked into the the, the spinal connector or whatever you want to call it, it, it reads very much like a heightened, even a heightened Dan Slott superior Spider-Man. But it was fun and it was a fun callback uh, to those stories, which for the most part, were great stories. So, like, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the die is cast. I enjoyed everyone calling each other adult until, like, you know, they all got dolted out. You're adult. No, you're adult. You you know, how, how dare you call me adult, you dolt. I mean, it, 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 was, it was just fun stuff. It was also, like, visually arresting stuff. I mean, I know we're going to talk about McGinnis towards the end here, but, like, everything about... This these segments worked from a Spider-Man storytelling standpoint. Like, you know, there was nothing about it that made me think that this was going to last any more than this issue. You know, like there was clearly an expiration date. Then again, we said that about Rec Rap. And of course, he's back. The, the, the fact is, like, this this was done perfectly for what it needed to be. And I loved it. Yeah, I, I did, too. I laughed throughout. I think the comic pacing here is tremendous. And, you know, this is the kind of reference that I think is really wonderful. It is not like lingering on it for too long. It's making stories in the past still meaningful without like really laying into continuity quite so heavily. Like you don't even really need to have a deep knowledge of superior to understand this. It's just like, Okay, like it, it, it can be rewarding for a casual fan and also for someone who is like really deeply entrenched in the canon uh, uh, of these stories. It does leave some questions that I have. Like, I, I agree, again, I agree with you 100%. Like, it's a, it's a story gimmick and it will be gone. And hopefully, like, that's it. You know, like, uh, maybe there'll be a little play with it later on. Who knows? But, like, I think we got everything we could out of it here. You know, like we don't need to revisit Superior in the pages of Wells Run, although I know we're getting more Superior comics, which is a whole other conversation (laughs) that you and I might have to have, given that that's how we started our show. But, you know, it it was just talking around just long enough to be sweet and fun. I, I do have some questions still about the logistics of the arms. Like here, the arms are driving Peter to kill Otto potentially but then like a couple issues ago they were the ones that went rogue and sabotaged Norman's base you know for Otto so it's like maybe that was driven just by a hatred of Norman rather than any love for Otto but it does seem to be a bit inconsistent as a plot device and really just to function as that rather than like a fully formed 
and intrinsically motivated character. It's fun, and that is just a nitpick. So I, I thought this was a blast. Yeah, and, and and frankly, I was getting a little confused even when the Octoids started to kind of turn against Otto and favor Peter for a bit. I mean, I, I guess I kind of understand it. To your point, it, it, it felt a little incongruous in terms of what the exact status quo was with all these things. But yeah, I mean, kind of free your mind a little bit and you can still have some fun with it. <laughs> I really like the moment of Spider-Man wanting to save the arms when they tried to sacrifice themselves. Um, you know, it would have been nice to see Spider-Man just get a clean win, but I do think it reinforces, like we said earlier, the themes of the book, like the, especially the difference between how Spider-Man and Otto treat their arms, right? Like Otto is ready to sacrifice the arms, you know, in order to win the day where Spider-Man won't. And I think, you know, a good clean, hero villain moment is is nice in moments like that so i i I appreciate it again that kind of clear distinguishing line even though spider-man's brain is being taken over by you know otto's arms his goodness as a person can still overcome and he's not tempted to continue wielding that power indefinitely so uh, just good clean hero versus villain stuff and and it's the kind of thing I think this book needs more of, you know, when they start getting into the mores of like, you know, the, the complications of like editorial and big grand hooks. It's, I think a lot less fun than just good, clean, like this is a bad guy. This is a good guy. Yeah. And watch them do stuff. There's trickery inside yeah. of that, like the tombstone thing, but that doesn't need to be in every story. No, so definitely not. And you can, yeah, you like you said, you could be creative within the certain tropes that we have established, or you could just leverage and and ride those tropes and have some fun with them. And I feel that's what we did here. Speaking of fun, like Ed McGinnis is just he. I mean, it's beautiful art, but it's also like it's fun art. Like, you know, I I I know I said this I think in the last episode, but I I I really do kind of like want to rescind some of my earlier criticisms of what the stories have been like with him, you know, on pencils. Cause like these, these books have sung, man, these are great stuff. And like it, the, the, the splash pages pages, I mean like everything about it's clicking when it comes to the visuals here. I just think it's the right balance. He finally had the right story to utilize his skills. You know, Otto is wonderfully expressive. These big pages, the jokes are set up really well and it fits within the themes of the title. And you know, I think that whiplash really didn't serve him well because we kind of took it out on the art. And and I just don't think that like we were given that ammunition in the story because it just worked and they were really singing as a team. And I'm okay with people taking a little bit of time to figure out how they work together, you know? And I think this was the right balance between the two. And now I am really looking forward to what they do next, which seems to be a limbo story. And as much as I'm not eager to get back to the limbo stuff after dark web, like maybe they'll, maybe they'll find a way to make it work this time and get me invested in, in all of that. I, I thought that the best stuff in this was the comedy, you know, the, the dolt pages of the setup of that. And, and like, you know, the, the mirror image of, of Peter and Otto both shouting with the jagged line between them to that double page splash. I, you know, whether that was the writer laying that out or Ed, you know, laying that on the page that way. I just think like his layouts in this book 
swishing between the arms and keeping all of that coherent, you know, as much as I love Humberto Ramos, I think about like the way he would draw like, like Otto operating with all the arms and it would often get lost in these cluttered pages. And these are busy pages that are always clean and easy to read. And so I think he makes it look a lot easier than it is. Okay. I agree. I, 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 you know, I think we're, like you said, we're just having some good, clean visual fun here, man. And (laughs) I I don't I don't think I have anything else to add to this front. Do you want to, do you want to get into grades? Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to give this one a B plus. I I'm I'm just a slight nudge below you. I'm a, I'm a B. I, I I would say I'm a high B, which would make people say, "Well, why don't you just say B plus?" But I'm going to say I'm, I'm like, "No. I'm not a B plus. I'm a B, but it's a high B." <laughs> Before you write your emails, you know, like uh, it's a high B, not a B plus. It's like so a, let's let's be let's be yeah, clear. On, on a on a numerical scale, it's like an 86.8. <laughs> okay that's really specific yeah. um alex our video editor make sure you include that specificity you when you put it up on screen because like we want to be very clear for those who are keeping record of all this exactly stuff. thank you thank you for for keeping things uh sacrosanct here dan i i wouldn't have it any other way mark i'm i'm looking out for you, <laughs> you know like I, like i'm looking out for your mentions like, uh, you know <laughs> On what platforms? I'm not on any of them anymore. Dan. <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> oh, what about on X? Yeah. Mark? yeah. Uh, no. Any, anyway, right. uh, Mark, why don't you take yeah, us Yeah. Well, speaking of X, it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of our listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same week the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. So a special thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. But we have no new patrons this week. It's the first time in months that we've been able to say that. So, you know, thanks to everybody who's supporting us. But if you are on the fence about joining our Patreon, you can help us correct this one minor ding in our otherwise sterling record of increased growth because capitalism, capitalism, capitalism by checking out our Patreon. The thing, maybe it's because I'm not on X causing fights anymore, Dan. We're not getting Patreon members. Oh, no. All right. Anyway, well, to download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like Jane DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Mark Bagley, Ron Friends, David Michelinie, and many, many more. Subscribe to our Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, and th- as always, this podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galaki, and he had better have given you the right number credit on this episode because I will be watching, Alex. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Madge, and our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark... Now that we've shared our minds, bodies, and melded our spines into our podcasting equipment, what's our motto? Oof. Let's do it together. Ready? Okay. Because we've shared our minds. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. With, With great, great podcasts, podcasts, there must also come the Amazing, amazing Spider Talk. You, you don't, don't, don't miss the next one.